I'm always delighted when I realize how much giftedness God blesses our church with between Diane, our choir, and on and on it goes. We are, are very blessed. This morning, I want you to understand as we go into this message that we're, this is one of those times when I'd like to give you a bottom line about what Presbyterianism is all about, Christianity is all about. Somebody would ask you, why do you go to that church? Uh, what's the purpose of becoming a Christian? There's a very, very simple answer. We're here to become like Jesus. A Christian is a little Christ. The, the bottom line of all the theology and the orthodoxy and the evangelicalism is that prayerfully through the Holy Spirit, you and I will become more like Jesus until ultimately we will love each other as he loves us. That's the goal of Christianity. So to help us along that journey, we're going to look at a very special biblical character, Barnabas. He's one of my favorite in the New Testament. His name, even his name is neat. It means literally son of encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. Every record of his behavior in scripture models him as a loving, caring, Christ-like friend. <clears throat> He's what I believe Jesus wants us to become for each other. Part of his story, we find he sold some property early in the church's career and he brought the proceeds and gave it all to the poor. Shortly after Paul's conversion, when the church in Jerusalem was very suspicious of this former persecutor of the church, Barnabas stuck his neck out, went and vouched for him. He says, I know this guy's for real, accept him, he's okay. And then in our text, we find the apostle Paul rejecting young John Mark because in an earlier missionary journey, John had gotten tired and frightened and he left early from the journey and Paul didn't want him along for the next one. So Barnabas comes to John Mark and he says, hey Mark, I still believe in you. Everybody's entitled to a mistake. So I'm leaving Paul and you and I'll be the new team. Today we're gonna to learn that every one of us needs a Barnabas kind of friend through whom the love of Jesus can reach us. One who will be there when everyone else is bailed out. One who will pray, support, and walk with us through times of need or celebrate with us in times of joy. So I want us to consider two things about a Christian friend that we can learn from Barnabas. First, every Christian needs a Barnabas and every Christian is called to be a Barnabas to others. First, every believer needs a Barnabas. Why? Well, Jesus tells us why in our text. You see, this is something we really need to understand. The love of Jesus, friendship with Jesus, is not some ethereal concept, but that friendship with Jesus is experienced through his body, the church, which is you, our brothers and sisters. He loves us through each other. So in our text, when he says, I chose you and, and you're my friends, that doesn't mean anything if we separate it from our friendship with each other. In my experience, uh, anything that I've experienced in terms of Jesus being my friend has come through you, my friends. Oh, of course I meet Jesus in prayer. I meet him in scripture. I meet him in worship. But that flesh and blood impact in my life comes through friendship. So then when we hit difficulties, when we deal with the challenges of living the Christian life, we experience the help of Jesus through his body, each other. And I think we need to understand then that when we talk about friendship, we're not talking about just some option in the Christian life. We're talking about the very essence of it. Our text says, according to Jesus, I no longer call you servants, let's say acquaintances. I called you friends. And you did not choose me, I chose you. If you remember, early Christians were admired by that outside secular world of the time 
not because of their theology, but the early historians tell us they were admired because of the way they loved each other. That was revolutionary in those dog-eat times when their love and the bonds that held them together stood in such contrast to the broken and lonely, sinful, secular world around them. And it was like a magnet bringing broken people into their midst saying, if that's what Jesus does, I want it. Now, a challenge facing us today is that most of you probably would agree with me that friends are important. But if we look at our calendars, we find that we're really too busy and we have other priorities. Friendships are just a nice concept, but our lives are focused on other goals. As one elder put it, we view cultivating friends as a luxury, but not as a command from Jesus. Think of how much our busy careers take from us. I hardly need to tell you. And then when you get home at night, if you have a family, they want something. And then maybe you need a little time for yourself. And where do you find time for friendships? Here's a command from Jesus, and our very lifestyle today works against cultivating friends. And as a result, you see, we're choking the very lifeblood of Jesus reaching us. Because we don't have friends, the love of Jesus cannot completely reach us. His friendship can't impact us like he wants it to. We have many acquaintances. We have few friends. I have a favorite verse in Ecclesiastes describing our need for each other. Two are better than one, for if they fail or fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's a good warning. James Baker, former Secretary of State, said, the truth of the matter is we do need one another if we're going to make it through this life in our private and in our public capacities. We need each other. We really can't make it without each other, and yet our calendars would indicate we kind of negate that wisdom. Uh, it, it's scary to need each other. I think one of the worst things we would want said about us is that we have that virus called codependency, which has become a bad word in our society, but in Scripture it's not so bad. We don't like it to be known that we're not self-sufficient. It's neat to be independent and not really need anybody, just to be a power broker on our way to the top, and just relationships are sort of secondary. If you study the life of Jesus, that wasn't his model. I was fascinating in preparing this message to really think in depth about a dimension of the life of Jesus we don't think about very often. For example, have you ever passed over that scripture and noticed <clears throat> that Jesus had a few very intimate friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? And the scriptures say that he frequented their home. That was where Jesus went and kicked his feet up and talked about the stresses of his ministry. They were special to him. And then he had 12 disciples out of the multitudes. But even in the 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John. And those were the three intimate ones that shared his heart. When he was in the garden sweating those bl that, uh, like, blood of, uh, like blood the night before he was killed, he took Peter, James, and John with him to be with him because they were his intimates. He had cultivated them. They knew his heart in a way nobody else did. That was the model of Jesus. And he wasn't worried about being accused of codependent or the fact that he wasn't self-sufficient. He needed, as the Son of God, intimacy with a few. And that's our model when he tells us, I want you to go and love as I have loved you. The life of Barnabas challenges us then, don't get caught up in the fast lane of the peninsula to the degree that you neglect relationships. 
We need each other for support in walking what increasingly will be the cost of discipleship in our times. We are not going to make it without the body of Christ because that's how Jesus helps us and walks with us. And you know, it's not only for hard times. Good times come. Have you ever thought it would, what it would be like to celebrate alone? I'm thinking if you going in, one of your children are going to get married or you're going to get married or you found a new friend or you've had a wonderful business success, who do you share it with? It's awful to celebrate alone. Friends are not only there for hard times, they're there for good times. But the point Jesus is making here and why he commands it, Barnabas' kind of friends don't just happen. They must be cultivated. And if we don't have them, Jesus cannot reach us with his friendship in the way that he planned. So it requires that maybe in our busy calendars, we make time for meals, lunches, movies, just some times to be together, where you build memories, you build a history with people. So many told me after services last night that they had a Barnabas kind of friend who was with them in a time of crisis, but that friendship had been being built for years. You just don't make Barnabas kind of friends instantly when you need them. The investment pays off with all the little times you spend together, where we share our hearts and our hopes and our dreams and our fears. We risk communication beyond the surface level. That's what we need. That's what Jesus is commanding. In my journal, I was looking, I keep a journal on my computer, and I was looking back over the times when I really felt the impact of Jesus in my life in terms of crises. And you know what? There wasn't one exception where I did not find friendship with Jesus hitting me apart from a special lunch or a dinner or a time when people who love me in a special way, who've taken time to get into my heart and know my struggles and my fears, and they were there for me, and it was through them that I said, thank you, Jesus, for helping me in this time of need. We're a very sophisticated people in this church, and all of you are probably quite sophisticated in planning for your future. Jesus is saying, don't neglect one of the most important dimensions you're going to need, not only today, but tomorrow, and that is relationships. And as we grow older, our need for friends increase, and our ability to cultivate new ones decreases. And that's why it's so important for us to hear this command from Jesus that I chose you, I want you to be my friends, and the way that I'm going to love you is through my body where I live, other Christian brothers and sisters. We're neglect neglecting that command, we're disobeying Jesus. First point from Barnabas. Secondly, our story also calls us to be a Barnabas kind of friend to others. We all know the truth that to be a friend, to have a friend means to be a friend. In our text, Jesus commands us this way, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And here, there's the catch. You know, we, we don't like to die. We don't like to lay down our lives. And that's involved in cultivating friends. You have to lay down your calendars, the pleasure times, the goal times, the other things that are so important to get what the peninsula says is important, we have to lay those things aside to some degree to make time to cultivate friends. And then, what about you who've been betrayed? Christians can do awful things to each other. And maybe you've heard sermons like this before and you've made friends in the church and they've turned around and just stabbed you in the back and betrayed you and you don't want to get burned again. And Jesus says, I'm challenging you, lay down your life. I've been betrayed, I've been hurt by my friends, remember Judas, but I'm asking you to do it again. That's the cost. Take the risk. Yes, we Christians are sinful. Yes, we cannot be totally trusted, but yes, we still need to be Barnabas kind of friends to each other. 
I want to take a moment and consider what it would look like to love as Jesus loves. In the Old Testament, the Jews created cities of refuge. Maybe you've read about them. They, they were places that people could go when they had committed an awful offense and the, their enemies couldn't go and throw stones at them or judge them. Once you were in the city, you were safe. Nobody could touch you. Sort of like a sanctuary movement in our time. I would like to think that a modern counterpart of the city of refuge is a Barnabas kind of friend. If prayer cards are any indication, as we get over 150 a week, many of you need safe places. You need cities of refuge. Safe Barnabas kind of relationships where you can go when your lives are all messed up. When you have ugly wounds that need bandaging and haunting fears that need comforting and hurtful loneliness and betrayals and, and worry about sickness and when you need, have joys that need sharing. You need a safe friend. Someone has written this about playing the role of a refuge. People don't want to listen to a cassette of some sermon when the bottom drops out. They want a place to cry, a person to care, someone to bind up their wounds, someone to listen, the security of a few close, intimate friends who won't blab their story all over the church, who will do more than say, I'll pray for you. They want a refuge. Remember, Jesus needed that in Peter, James, and John, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He had a few who were a refuge for him in his stress-filled ministry. You need them too. We are called to be a Barnabas wherever we are, a safe friend, a refuge. You can do that ministry at the office, in the class, in the neighborhood. You're always around people who have needs if you want to open your ears and your eyes and your heart. I'm in this pulpit today very basically because Jesus has sustained and loved me through Barnabas' kind of friends, people who would sacrifice to be there for me. I've told you this story before, but... It's been some time, so some of you haven't heard it. When I was 22, I was overnight stricken with panic attacks. I can remember it like yesterday. They're, if you don't know what they are, they're just moments that come on and you think you're dying. And then when you have panic attacks, you begin to associate places where you had the panic attacks with the attacks that you don't want to go, like in an airplane or any place where you can't get a quick exit. Some of you are afflicted with panic attacks and you sit near the door because you can't be in a crowd. Well, I had that for 25 years. But this was when I was 22 in college, and right in the middle of having that affliction, God called me into the ministry and away from medicine. And I thought that was the crazy thing for God to do. Me stand up in public, me go in, in, into the ministry where you have to do funerals and weddings and sermons, and, I, and if I panic, I'd, I'd have to go out in the middle of them. Well, anyway, the long and short of it is, I went into the ministry with the encouragement of friends. And from the first day, I have had friends who would always pray for me Saturday night before I would sweat and panic, wondering if I'd get through the sermon the next day. Or when I had a funeral or a wedding, they'd come midweek and pray with me to get through those times when I just couldn't do it alone. So if you wonder why I preach so much grace and so much love and why I'm always talking about friends, it's because I'm a fanatic that way. Through weakness, God has made me need friends. I understand the friendship of Jesus reaches me through Barnabas kinds of people. And you know, I'm not unique. I have panic attacks. I don't know what you have, but I know you need friends. And people who you know need you. So you don't only need friends, you need to be there when people need you to be their friend, to be the instrument by which Jesus contacts them. 
I, several years ago, I was totally cured from my panic attacks, and I'm very grateful, but I was never cured of my need for friends, nor my total dependence upon prayer, and that's probably another reason I'm such a prayer fanatic. I want us to be the kind of Christian church, the kind of friend where believers are available to each other, where we allow our inadequacies and our failures not to be points of judgment that pull us apart, but the glue that pulls us together like common lepers in a colony who all have the same disease. I want us to still believe in others when our weaknesses show badly. To be a lift, not a load. To be a boost, not a burden. And when failure happens in the church, not, that's not grounds for dismissal. It's grounds for arms to come around you and pick you up again and start the journey. Someone has written, oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, of having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful, friendly hand will take and sift them, keep what's worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. I want you to be that kind of friend to each other. I want to be that kind of friend to you. And only the love of Jesus can equip us to be that kind of Barnabas friend. For those of you who are saying, well, everything you're saying so far, Gerber, could happen out in the secular world, I'm saying, no, it can't. Because the Christian is a unique being in whom the resurrected Jesus lives today, and only he can equip us to be a Barnabas kind of friend. Others try, but they don't make it. And sometimes Christians fail, but then we have grace to pick up the pieces and try again. This place, this church is a place where everyone is welcome regardless of their moral conditions, sins, and weaknesses because that's what Jesus has called us to be. That's how he's called us to relate. And that's what it means to be an evangelical, orthodox Christian. It has to do with love, not what we're professing with our tongue. It's not to make us angry, uh, fear-filled Christians striking out at everyone that doesn't agree with us. It simply means to be a Christ in a world that's increasingly divided accepting each other's weaknesses. So in closing, I want to ask, do you have a friend through whom Jesus can love you? Do you have one, as I said years ago, you could call two o'clock in the morning and you know they'd come if you needed them? And would anyone in this church choose you as their Barnabas kind of friend? If your answer is no, what are you gonna do about it? This is a command from Jesus, it's not an option. If we're not in, in a relationship with someone where they can be a Barnabas to us and we can to them, we're disobeying Jesus. We're choking off the abundant life he wants to funnel into us. So I want to challenge you to ask God for the grace to set some goals focused on cultivating friendships. You set other kinds of goals. One of our elder, elders, every year at Christmas time, marks certain friends in her Christmas list that she's going to contact that year. And then she tells what month to herself she's going to do it. She lays out a game plan. And over a year, she has a discipline of being friends to certain people she feels called to contact. That's one way to do it. Maybe you want something less sophisticated. You could just go out and tell someone who needs to hear it that you love them today. Maybe there's someone who you know you love them, and you assume they know you love them, but you've never told them. That was hit home to me so profoundly some time ago. We had an elder here named Brad Stimson. Some of you remember him. 
Our tradition at the end of three years is to have a night when we say the, the elders graduate, and we have an evening where everybody, staff and staff, staff and elders, tell the person graduating what we think of them. We affirm them. We did that for Brad up at the Velvet Turtle uh, that night, and he went home and told his wife, you know, that was the most blessed, exciting night I've ever had to hear. I didn't know those people thought those things about me. The next day, he was killed in an automobile accident. And his wife said, thank God you took the time to tell Brad what you thought of him. And I don't want to be that dramatic, but there's people who maybe the first step in being a Barnabas kind of friend would just simply tell them how you feel, encourage them. That's what love is. It isn't so complicated. Or maybe your first step would be to simply invite someone over for dinner or go out to lunch. Don't have any agenda. Don't try to save them. Don't try to correct them. Just say, I want to get to know you. One caution. Don't do anything I've told you to do until you've taken something from your schedules. You're already too busy. Don't add one more thing because out of guilt you thought the preacher said, I ought to do it, I will. Take something out of them and cultivate the, re the goals Jesus said are most important, namely friendships. That way you'll keep a balanced life. We don't need to be more neurotic than we already are. Chuck Swindoll summarizes what I want to say about Barnabas' kind of friends. Nobody is a whole chain, a whole team, a whole orchestra, a play, hospital, comprised of numerous parts. We're all comprised of numerous parts dependent upon each other. We need each other. You need someone and someone needs you. Isolated islands, we are not. And to make this thing called life work, we need each other. I can tell you up here, I sure need these people. This preaching is not a solo act. And we, you need each other out there as you worship. So again, if you don't have a Barnabas friend, or if someone wouldn't choose you as a Barnabas friend, what are you going to do about it? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for your kind of love. And thank you for the high privilege of being commissioned and empowered to be able to go in love as you have loved us. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.